welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. Now, Matt, it's been a while since we've uh, talked to the listeners here. How are you doing? Give the listeners a little update on what's been happening with you over the past month or so. Yeah, we kind of caught the uh, the dead season of fantasy there, you know, right before the All-Star break, coming out of the All-Star break, incurred some injuries. Uh, but here we are, you know, through the ashes. We have Major League's uh, official trade deadline ending today, so that was exciting. We're obviously going to talk about that. Our Fantasy Dynasty League trade deadline did end, I think it was last Monday, if I am correct, um, but we kind of kicked things off a week earlier. We will probably wrap the show with some of the trades that went down in our league. Uh, but other than that, man, just kind of excited. I'm, you know, I'm in the hunt in both leagues. In one league, I'm tied for first. My other dynasty league, I'm tied for second. Uh, had some injuries though, you know. And outside of that, just trying to get through the uh, through the summer here, waiting for football. Uh, and with that being said, we are not actually playing in a fantasy football league for once. Yeah, well, you backed out of our league, so that's <laughs> a little disappointing, if I'm being honest. But I will be in at least. I think I'm going to try to get into to five or six as this might be the last year where I can really dedicate that much time um, as, as I will be having a baby coming soon. So a lot of my time is going to be distracted next year. But Well, not only know, next year, but like in the playoffs, like dead heat of the playoffs, that's when the baby comes. Like you're going to have oh, to yeah. dedicate time to that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So I'm trying to soak it up as much as I can. So you kind of alluded to earlier, uh, but we will talk about what happened at the MLB trade deadline. What were the biggest news? Kind of our fantasy takeaways for any pickups that you could possibly do to help you make a last second run in your leagues, as well as, a, as from a dynasty perspective, and kind of the prospects that kind of upgrade their timelines to the majors and some who kind of were a, a little bit lower. And then we'll we'll finish off the show with talking about how what happened at our trade deadline in our fantasy dynasty league so let's just jump right into it the biggest news is Juan Soto and Josh Bell are going to the Padres the Nationals are receiving Luke Voigt, CJ Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood, Mackenzie Gore, and Jarlin Susana before you get into it Matt I gotta tell you I had a bet with our one of our league mates Reed and he bet 20 bucks that the Yankees would get um, Juan Soto. And so uh, since he claimed the Yankees, I took the Padres. Seems to be working out pretty well for me. So I got a little extra 20 bucks in my pocket now. Um, outside of that, though, Matt, key takeaways on this trade. Let's hear it. Yeah, I think uh, I think perspectively, this was kind of the move that was going to be made. I think the Padres were probably the favorite. I know the Cardinals kind of came in there as well and, and really gave San Diego kind of a run. Uh, you and I spoke about Dylan Carlson not being added by St. Louis, you know, and I think that was probably a mistake. This is a once-in-a-generational type talent, um, you know, once in a decade. I think Miggy was a similar talent, probably was traded a little bit older than Juan. Uh, but when you have an opportunity to go out and acquire a player like this, you do it. And I think we saw the package go back to Washington, which, in my opinion, from, you know, a minor league baseball perspective, a fantasy fan, dynasty fan, like this is the biggest most lucrative package I have ever seen traded, right? You know, CJ Abrams, a top five pick, uh, high-end talents with the speed. The power has kind of come on the last year and a half for really showcasing himself to be 
ultimately a top of the order, real leader of a team at his young age. I think that was a great asset. You, we've talked about Robert Hassel on this podcast before, being one of the best left-handed outfielders in the minor leagues. You know, projects as a 20-20, projects as a 25-10 as he gets older and increases power. Uh, James Woods, a guy 6'7 that can realistically probably hit 40 home runs in the major leagues at some point, has a pretty good average in A ball this season, you know, is still very young. Mackenzie Gore obviously showcased what he could do earlier in the season. There is the elbow issue there. MRI did clear him this past week. Kind of have to monitor that, but I think you have tier one starter still in Mackenzie Gore. Um, and then for Jerlin uh, Susana, I just butchered that. I'm sorry, sir. Um, number one in international arm. I think that was the big piece, too. He was the best international arm this past year. High-end velocity. Got a lot of really great pieces in. Luke Voigt, whatever. You know, I think, I think that's just pushing money across the table a little bit, just filling a hole for Bell. Um, but this was definitely a generational trade. And you now have Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado in the same lineup. I think that'll do wonders for the fantasy value of all three. I do think you'll probably lose some counting statistics here and there because they're going to take from each other, but I would expect for it to even out. Yeah, and pretty much the Luke Void is just simply because Eric Cosmo is a part of that deal, and then that fell through because of his no-trade clause, so I think Luke Void was just to get it done. We talked off the air, though. Dylan Carlson is the piece that you won't trade to get Juan Soto. You and I were kind of talking probably the package that the Cardinals had was something like Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, maybe Matthew Libertor, and another low-end guy, maybe one of their draft picks that they just took this year. If I'm the Cardinals, I pulled that deal. You got Goldie, you got Arenado, you're chasing, you're not too far off. The Brewers just got rid of Josh Hader, which we'll talk about. I think the the line is clear. The Cardinals did make some other moves here, so which we'll talk about, but I think the Padres did it right. You get three postseasons out of Juan Soto if you don't extend him or you could trade him. So I think that's more than worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, you said it. We're going to talk about some of the moves that the Cardinals made, but this was the opportunity for the Padres, for the Yankees, for the Cardinals, for the Dodgers to make a big-time splash in their division and kind of create separation over the next two and a half seasons. As you said, three postseasons with Juan Soto. And with the Brewers trading, you know, Josh Hader, this was it. This was the opportunity for the Cardinals to take the Central this year, next year, and the year that follows, and then leave it up, right? Goldschmidt's contract will be uh, kind of expiring. I'm sure Arenado's deal will be getting closer to the end. You would be able to then extend Juan Soto as a St. Louis Cardinal and have him for the you know, for foreseeable 10-year future. I think this was a massive mistake. Uh, I think any team that had the assets to go out and acquire him should have. And then you then you actually look at the holes, right? Jordan Walker still being in double A. There is power there sometimes. There's not power there other times. Like we do expect him on this podcast to be, at least I do, a perennial all-star. But he's a few years away, right? And currently he's blocked. Talking about Nolan Gorman, there's holes in the swing. We're talking about low average. Matthew Libitor, yes, left-hander. Probably going to take two, three, four years to develop into what we expect from him. And Dylan Carlson isn't anything special. Like, you make that move. I have a whole lot more anticipation that what the Padres gave up today will lead to all-stars than what the Cardinals were. And it's a little disappointing from a baseball perspective that they didn't go out and make that move. Yeah, absolutely. Let's transition now into what we just mentioned was Josh Hader. The Padres also get Josh Hader. They give up Taylor Rogers, who's been struggling of late. Also, Denelson Lamette, Robert Gasser, who I know you like. And then Isturi Ruiz, 
the stolen base leader for the miners. You and I kind of talked Story Ruiz. Maybe it's kind of lightning in a pan. Kind of sold high on him as a prospect. Not really sure if he's going to pan out long term, but for right now, Brewers could take the flyer. We need some help in the outfield. Any other things? Let's let's hear what you got. Yeah, I mean, there's been conflicting reports for Taylor Rogers. Some reports are saying that he's immediately day one Brewers uh, closer. There's other reports that him, Boxberger, as well as Williams will step into that role and kind of start to have a platoon in there. Um, you know, I think the biggest takeaway here is Milwaukee didn't get the high-end prospects that normally you get from a player like this because they had intended to trade for Juan Soto. And I think after the Juan Soto deal, it's a little disappointing because it's like Josh Hader's the number one closer in baseball. You would have liked to see C.J. Abrams, James Wood, Mackenzie Gore, or Robert Hassel. One of those four come back to Milwaukee when you're trading the number one player at that position. But when it comes to timing, it just really didn't work out that way. Um, I think, you know, Hader kind of probably takes similar seat with opportunities in San Diego. I think Williams is the guy to grab on wires, but again, we're so late in the season and most, most leagues uh, elevate holds like Williams is probably rostered. Uh, the big guy here is Ruiz. I did pick him up in my 10 man dynasty league. I think he's going to have an opportunity to play in Milwaukee. I think he fits with Milwaukee very well. Hopefully he can be like a lot of these other rookies that we've seen this year where they start off really sluggish and then find their stride a month, a month and a half after being up. The Brewers often surely needs it. Well, the other thing with him too, he's more of a speed guy, but being in that Padres stadium, that's a bigger ballpark. Now you go to Milwaukee, one of the smaller ones, might see a little bit of power production. I think he only gets an additional three to five home runs per year being on the Brewers, but I do think he's got a, a good path to everyday playing time. If not, he's in a platoon, but constantly seeing everyday playing time. Let's move on now um, to some trades that didn't happen um, today. And the next one I think is probably the, the highlight here is Yankees got Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino from the Athletics. They gave up Ken Waldachuk, J.P. Sears, Luis Medina, and Cooper Bowman. Ken Waldachuk, we've talked about him in the past, somebody we like, been killing it in AAA. J.P. Sears, I like what he's been doing in the minors. Doesn't support the highest fastball in mid to low 90s, so kind of worry about him long term. And then Luis Medina, I think he's a good guy. I think uh, at least Ken Waldachuk should come up for the A's initially to start. Uh, maybe somebody you can pick up, kind of hold, see what he does. But Matt, anything else to, to mention here out of this package? No, I mean, I love Waldachek. Uh, I think he could be a really nice player, especially in that ballpark in Oakland. Uh, you, you talked about J.P. Sears a little bit, 26-year-old. Incredible numbers in the minor leagues this season. I mean, he's really beating up on younger competition. I think if I remember correctly, looking at his whip, it was under .85. Um, but this was an interesting return, right? We saw, again, the return that um, Luis Castillo got back as well as Juan Soto today. And then I think you look at what the A's and the Brewers got back and it's kind of like second-tier prospects. And guys that could be pretty good starters, but not that star punch. Um, I think Waldachuk could be a star, but it, give him time. You know, he's a, give him time. Um, and then the Yankees, of course, you know, have one more year of team control with Montas' bigger ballpark. So maybe that ERA goes up, but you should see wins also go up. And I uh, just wanted to throw out a little bit of a tidbit here. Strider did go six and two-thirds today for the Braves. He had 13 strikeouts against the Phillies. Uh, very, very nice performance. So while Atlanta didn't go out and get uh, any really, really big names, you know, they did get Odorizzi, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, Strider seems to be still pumping away. 
Yeah, so let, let's move on while we're talking about starting pitcher. The other big name is Luis Castillo going to the Seattle Mariners. The Reds get a package here, and you and I both like what they got. They got Novi Marte, shortstop, Edwin Arroyo, Leve Stute, and Andrew Moore. I think the big thing is Marte and Arroyo here, both top 100 prospects. I think they're going to do well for the Reds. I think we see them at least in the next year or two. I think they can produce right away. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought this was a fantastic return. You bring two guys into an organization that, you know, have the label of star on them. I think Marte could lead an infield. He could be a guy similar to Tatis, not obviously the overall package. I kind of have Marte as like a 20, 25 max home run guy, 10, 15 stolen bases, good glove, you know, good batting average, uh, can develop into a leader. And then Arroyo, obviously, He's young. He's playing an A-ball. There's a lot of the fun concepts going around there about him being ambidextrous. But overall, he's just a very, very good athlete with good bat-to-ball contact skills as well as developing power. I think overall, the two guys to really build a foundation for the Reds organization and two guys that in Dynasty Leagues, their value for me just went up. We saw what Nick Castellanos can do in that ballpark. It's definitely a hitter-friendly park. And with Marte and Arroyo leaving the Seattle area, coming into a more friendly ballpark, like their offensive numbers should also take a boost once they hit the major leagues. Yeah, I completely agree. They definitely get a boost in my book. Let's move on now. Since we're talking about the Reds, they also made another deal, but this time they're giving up a starting pitcher in Tyler Malley. He's going to the Twins. The Reds get Spencer Steer, second baseman out of Twins, somebody who I've liked and has risen on my books a lot. Christian Encarnacion Strand has been moving up the rankings, and Steve Hajar. I think the big piece here is Spencer Steer. Um, I'm curious to see where he plays because they do have Jonathan India at second, but you can never have enough prospects at multiple positions. You can always move them around here. Um, I definitely see him as somebody who could potentially be batting 280 with 20 to 25 home runs. That's kind of the, the ceiling I see for him, but definitely a good return for somebody like Tyler Malley. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, I mean, Steer, 24 years old. It's time to get him to the major leagues, right? He beat up double-A pretty heavily this season. He had 40-plus games, um, had eight home runs, like really took it to them, and then went to triple-A. Kind of continued uh, eight home runs in double-A, 12 home runs in triple-A, excuse me, but he did bat 242 in triple-A, so we need to see more of that bat-to-ball contact. But as we've said it, you know, he's going to a hitter-friendly park, uh, and the opportunity should be there. With Brandon Drury being traded today as well, you know, they're starting to open up some of these holes that are going to block the guys like Steer from making an impact. And it's all about finding the assets right now that can play in the major leagues until Marte and Arroyo can come up because you might be looking at Steer as a guy next year that's on the on the block, you know, if he performs really well and they don't have a spot for him. Like, these guys need to get onto the field. Uh, but I also would have liked to see the Reds add a couple more younger arms, you know, maybe those 18, 19-year-olds from low A to give themselves a shot at pitching depth because as it stands right now, I think that's going to be what their organization is lacking as we get into their rebuild. Yeah, the other sneaky one that I like is this Christian uh, Encarnacion Strand kind of broke out this year over uh, high A and double A. He's batting um, 302 with 25 home runs which is a, a huge power increase since he only had four the previous year in 2021. Um, and now, granted, it was less games. But I do think he can uh, potentially sneak up the rankings here and maybe sneak into the top 100. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually did have him bookmarked um, on one of my apps. We kind of had like a Jose Miranda-esque breakout for the Minnesota Twins organizations and the minors. 
um, and you know OPS this season 986. Like that's a it's an interesting buy high kind of like buying into maybe newfound potential. Um, and again, love the ballpark. So just bring these guys up. Strand 22 years old. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on. Keeping with starting pitchers, the Philadelphia Phillies acquire Noah Syndergaard for the first overall pick of Mickey Moniak. I kind of like this um, since uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the Angels just got rid of Brandon Marsh in a surprising move. But I kind of like what the Phillies did here. Thor's kind of been underproducing ever since coming back from injury, but they need starting pitching depth. They didn't really need Mickey Moniak as Bryce Harper's kind of on the mend here. So I definitely think they're definitely putting all their chips in. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think, you know, giving up Moniak, who really kind of failed out as that number one overall pick, definitely had a great spring training this year. And we thought we were going to finally start to see his ascension or his breakout into the type of player that he was going to be. And then he had the injury. So there was the immediate setback. Uh, and I just don't think that, you know, with the Phillies, he was ever going to really get that opportunity to kind of showcase himself. And he's going to go now to the uh, to the Angels, who, you know, faltering. Mike Trout's out, is out, you know. Uh, I think the opportunity might be there for him to play. We'll see. You know, I think this is this is an interesting trade. Thor's value definitely has fallen far below what I expected it to. Um, so Mickey Moniak, kind of just a throw-in in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree. Now, at this stage in the game, this is kind of like the big names that I think that got moved. The next few ones I think are like a, a Tier 2 type um, players that got moved. So we'll start with... Uh, the Cardinals, we talked about it earlier. They got Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton from the Pirates. They gave up Johan Oviato and Malcolm Nunez. I think this definitely boosts Quintana's rankings. You know, he's been doing pretty well, sub-4 ERA for the Pirates. Now, granted, he is in the NL Central, so he's playing people like the Cubs. Um, but, you know, he's staying in there, and now he gets to play against the Pirates and the Cubs. So I definitely can think he can keep that ERA low give him a little boost. Um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think Quintana is probably going to sit around a four-year array. I think he's overproduced a lot of his expected numbers in Pittsburgh. Uh, left-hander obviously coming in. Like, this is patchwork. From a fantasy perspective, we had a guy in our league, our dynasty league, today go up and pick up Quintana for a $5 uh, waiver fab bid, which depth on the bench, I get it. Um, but I I'm not going out there and spending five, ten dollars because at the end of the day, like he's just going to be another guy at the end of that rotation. Uh, Stratton as well, depth. I think that was good, and the Pir- the Pirates continue to acquire some of these younger assets, some of these guys that, like you said, tier C prospects. You know, like maybe they develop into something special, maybe not. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on here. We're going to go a little bit quicker. The Braves or the Braves, I should say, at the end of the deadline here move Rysel Iglesias and they uh sorry I should correct myself the Braves receive Rysel Iglesias they give up Tucker Davidson and Jesse Chavez to the Angels I think this move's interesting because with the Angels getting rid of Thor to the Phillies they now have an open rotation yes they were going six man but there's some issues with um younger guys like Reed Detmers and their innings cap I think Tucker Davidson kind of gets a, a chance here to show what he's got for the Angels. I'd be curious to see what he does for the Angels. This might be somebody worth taking a flyer on. Jesse Chavez, I think he's mo- nothing more than a bullpen guy, kind of old, a little bit washed up. 
Um, what's interesting is though that Iglesias, I believe, has two or three more years of control, and the Braves have Kenley Jansen to the end of the year. So Iglesias might be the seventh, eighth inning guy behind Kenley Jansen this year, but for following years, he may be their guy. Yeah, you hit it right in the head. That's my expectation. Uh, Inglesias did start his four-year contract extension this year, so he has three remaining seasons after the 2022 season, and it's a hefty price tag. I think, if I remember correctly, four years, $57 million. Like This is this is no bargain discount. My expectation would be that the Braves see something on film and they say, we can fix that, and we can bring back that hard slider, that velocity fastball, and really turn him back into the closer he was. Uh, but as it stands today, like it doesn't hurt to add another arm. And in all honesty, pit teams are always trying to add bullpen arms. So whether they can fix him or not, I would assume that they could also probably flip him to a team if need be. Uh, but I think from the Braves, you know, losing Will Smith in a, in a separate trade to get Jake Odorizzi, kind of replacing that with a bullpen arm was a really, really nice move. And Don, uh, Tucker Davidson, there just wasn't room in the rotation. They have Kyle Mueller in the minor league, so I think we'll get that next shot. And Davidson's just going to go and get a better opportunity with the Angels. And that's what the Angel, uh, Angels really have been doing, right? They've been acquiring some of these guys that are kind of bargain bin discounts. If you look at Thor as a good example of that, Davidson's a little bit younger, more team control. And I think they can actually mold him into a, a good, solid number three starter, number four starter in their rotation. Yeah, and you mentioned the Braves can definitely afford Rysel Iglesias with getting bargains with Acuna, Albies and now Austin Riley's um, contract extensions, they're all lower than slot value for what they're performing at. So they definitely can afford to spend a little bit elsewhere. We don't have the next one on the docket, but let's just talk a little bit about Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi. Um, anything else you want to mention regarding that? Pretty much just a, a reliever for a starter, and kind of they don't know how long Spencer Strider is going to be there for. Anything else you want to add on that trade? Yeah, no, I think this was the, the perfect move for the Braves. Bring a guy in that's a proven pitcher, a guy that's going to sit around a 3-5, 4-2-5 ERA. Obviously, we don't have high expectations for Odorizzi, but he's going to allow some of the alleviation from Strider, from Wright, uh, from Ian Anderson, right? Like these guys that are still younger that do want to keep their innings down, well, now you can kind of circumvent Odorizzi, and they're just like Houston was doing, using him as the sixth starter. You know, does that mean that Seth um, Brown is going to come up for Houston? Like, is, you know, are they thinking about bringing up Forrest Wheatley? These are questions that now can be asked because now Houston's right back to that five-man rotation, and they've got to keep Verlander and Valdez. They've got to keep these guys fresh. So I thought it was an interesting trade because the Braves basically acquired Odorizzi for what he was doing for another team, but a very, very good trade because of the younger arms in that Atlanta starting rotation. Yeah, I definitely agree. Let's move on now to uh, Astros, Orioles, and Rays three-way trade. And the Astros received Trey Mancini and Jaden Murray. The Orioles received Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott. And the Rays got Jose Siri. Obviously, the big one is Trey Mancini going to the Astros. Definitely plays for a better ballpark or better ball team, I should say. The Orioles, they get some young pitchers here in Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott. I think the one to note, and you're high on this guy, is Seth Johnson, 2019 um, CBA pick. What's crazy, he's in high A, but if you look at his uh, profile on MLB.com, they have him as an ETA of 2023, and he's in high A right now. He is doing well at a 3.0 ERA. Um, anything else you want to mention on any of these guys? 
Yeah, I mean, again, the Rays, they do some things that don't make any logical sense, right? Like, I, I genuinely don't understand why Siri was so highly valued. Um, and then we look at Johnson. You kind of talked about it. He is 24 years old. I think that's where the ascension, that quick ascension comes from. But, you know, again, you have to be a little bit mindful that he's got to at least pitch in double A. You know, I could see a double A jump to the major leagues. Um, but I like this a lot. I have liked Seth Johnson. I thought he was a really good player, you know, came from a little bit smaller of a school, uh, has a good two pitch mix, good fastball, good slider. But I want to see really where he's at in double A before we start to make an assessment here, because much like uh, Sears, you know, that the Yankees traded away when you're older and you're dominating younger competition, it's a kind of a glass window in order to see like, is this production going to actually transfer upwards or are you just beating up on guys that don't know how to hit your off speed pitches? Yeah, definitely agree. The next one we have is the Padres, yet again. They get Brandon Drury for the Reds for Victor Acosta. And this is a young guy, born in 2004, only 18. And he's a, a shortstop playing in rookie ball. Um, he instantly becomes the number 16 overall prospect for the Reds. I think the thing with this is Brandon Drury moving to a worse ballpark when all of his homer production has been primarily at home. And I saw something on the CBS guys. I think Drury has 20 or 21 home runs. His projected would go down to, I think it was either 16 or 17 if all of his games were played in San Diego, which isn't terrible. But I'm kind of concerned that Drury might be a utility guy now and not get play every day for the San Diego Padres, which sucks for our Dynasty League because... He's been uh, a guy that I've been relying on as of lately. Yeah, and you know, kind of in that same track there, um, we're going to scale it back up a little bit and talk about Trey Mancini. His expected home runs moving across to a new team as well as actually 22 in Houston. Now, again, expected home runs. This is if, if the player plays all of their games in that home park. So we have to kind of be a little mindful based on those numbers. There is some variance, um, but it's the opposite for Jury, as you mentioned, right? That power production is going to go down a little bit. I did hear today the plan is for him to actually play full-time, but to be in that seventh slot of their lineup. Again, that's kind of like MLB the show, like let's mix and match and expect what things are going to be. Um, I do think if that production goes down a little bit, we could see him as that super utility guy that you talked about because of his versatility and his ability to play all over the diamond. But I think ultimately when it comes to real baseball, this is a great deal. When it comes to fantasy baseball, this kind of sucks. And that happens this time of the year when we have these moves. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Let's move on now. And this one was a little bit interesting. Um, Christian Vasquez gets traded to the Astros for, from the Red Sox. It's still to be determined what the Red Sox are receiving. But what's interesting is... Christian Vasquez is getting interviewed during this trade um, and the reporters find out before he does and kind of ask him about it. Kind of funny, but the Astros fill a need that they have at catcher. They were kind of relying on Maldonado, who hasn't been the greatest catcher for them offensively. So they kind of get an upgrade here. Anything else to note, Pat? Yeah, I think really this took away from the Contreras market. You know, I think the Astros were pegged as the team that was going to go out and get Contreras, and they made a move and got Vasquez. These to-be-determined deals normally in recent years means that it's either a player to be named later that was drafted this season, or it's going to be either a player or cash considerations based on the performance of the player that the team is trading for. So I would expect Vasquez probably ends up with, you know, a tier, a tier C prospect. 
Um, and that's a heck of a lot better than what Contreras was going to be asking for. I think the, the Cubs were said to be asking for a tier A guy and a couple tier C's. So really, when it comes to production, like I like Vasquez as much as I like Contreras, especially in that ballpark. Vasquez is a pull hitter. We've seen that in Boston. You have the Crawford boxes out there in Houston. I could see a good amount of home runs in the second half, the last two months of the season from Vasquez. Uh, emotion, though, that's the thing, too, to take away. Right? You talked about the reporters asking him. Uh, we're going to talk about the Red Sox here in a minute. Brewers had some issues with Hader being uh, traded. I think it'll be interesting to see how those emotions come over, right? Because he's coming from an AL East team that really probably despises Houston to now having to be one of their regular backstops with Maltin Maldonado. Like, can he move past those emotions and just simply go after a championship? Those things do play into this. But from a fantasy perspective, I think Vasquez easily jumps into my top 10 now. Yeah, let's take a break from the trades that have occurred and talk about the trades that didn't happen. Wilson Contreras doesn't get moved. Um, There's talks of Ian Happ getting moved. He didn't get moved. J.D. Martinez stays in Boston. What are your initial thoughts on the guys that didn't get moved? And there's probably more guys I'm thinking of, but those are the big ones that stick out to me that were supposed to get moved and they didn't. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll start with Happ. You know, Happ has a year left on his contract as well, so he's team-controlled. He was an all-star this season. Um, and yes, the Cubs had to have an all-star, but Hap's been a pretty good player this year, and he's kind of developed into kind of the expected player when he came up, right? Switch hitter, we expected him to have a good average. That was kind of the thing coming out of college for him. Uh, minor leagues had a pretty good average. Comes up and just starts swinging for the fence. Well, we're finally seeing that 275 batting average with still a little bit of power. I think that was a guy that a lot of teams were probably going after, but ultimately we don't know the Cubs' asking price. Um, and I think it's probably better for Ian Happ from a fantasy perspective to stay in Chicago, to continue to start baseball games as things warm up. And as that wind blows out, you're going to see more home runs. And then from Contreras, I think you look at the underlying numbers and I think you look at the home and away splits. And some of these teams were saying, no, 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 we're not going to give up a tier A prospect for a guy that's going to come over here and significantly underperform because his road splits are not nearly as good as his home splits, which is pretty scary if you date it back three or four years now. Uh, and then J.D. Martinez, I think it was a money thing. You know, like you're going to incur two months of that six-month contract. You're going to have to pay him X amount of dollars. I just think teams were like, you know what, I'm happy with my Hunter Renfros. We'll take it. Keep your J.D. Martinez. Yeah. Let's move along now. Um, Whit Merrifield is traded from the Royals to the Blue Jays for Samad Taylor and Max Castillo. I think what's interesting about this is Whit Merrifield is not vaccinated. And when you play in Toronto, you must be vaccinated. So I think this is a little interesting. I believe they wouldn't make this deal unless what Merrifield agreed to get vaccinated. So that should be coming very shortly. But anything else to note on this trade, Matt? I mean, this is just the biggest power move ever. You know, this is a general manager saying, you know, you're going to disrespect us a month ago. Say how, you know, if you were on a winning team, you would be vaccinated right now to only be traded to the only team that really requires vaccination, right? Like uh, he doesn't have to get vaccinated. He can play on the road games, but this was just a GM kind of, you know, wagging his stick around. Um, but I do like Max Castillo a lot. Actually, he started a game a couple weeks ago, had a pretty good showing has been pretty good in middle relief here. I think this could be a really under the radar trade. If the Royals have any intention in making him an actual starter, uh, a guy that could also turn into a closer. So we're not going to see that return, I would say, probably for about a year and a half unless they make him a starter. But you could be talking about a top 10 closer in two years here. Yeah, I definitely like Castillo, somebody I've been watching closely. It just 
a matter of not really being able to to produce in a starter or a closer yeah. role. So out of a fantasy perspective, maybe not much there, but out of a baseball perspective, definitely good. Let's move along now. The Minnesota Twins pick up a full-time closer now and Jorge Lopez from the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles get a flurry of individuals in Yanir Cano, Cade Pavic, Juan Nunez, and Juan Rojas. I think the biggest package out of these uh, prospects here is Cade Povich of High A. He was a third-round draft pick uh, last year. Um, not so great in this year at High A with a 4.46 ERA, but last year he did pretty well in the seven or the four games with that he played with uh, 0.9 ERA. So maybe a little rough out of the gates here, but does have some upside here. Uh, I think the biggest news is Johan Duran and Emilio Pagan lose a ton of value in fantasy leagues and Jorge Lopez skyrockets. I think he now is a top seven, top eight closer, I want to say, being on the Twins in that AL Central. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think if you look at what Lopez has already done in fantasy leagues this year and you give him the opportunity of playing on a marginally better team, a team that's fighting for a divisional run and championship here, you know, obviously value goes up. I am interested to see now that his opportunities are going to be higher leverage in regards to, you know, a team that is fighting for a playoff bid. Is he a lockdown closer? Like, do we see Lopez take that step forward where we're starting to rake him, as you said, into the top 10, top five next year? Because the opportunity is there. And it's a little upsetting for a guy like Johan Duran, but we also don't know from the organizational perspective what the Twins want to do with Duran, right? Is Duran a guy that they're slotting in as a guy that could start for them next year? Do we see more two, two and a half, three inning appearances from Duran as they start to stretch him out, which could elevate that value as we go down the stretch? But also Duran being such a young arm, they want to protect that. I also don't think you want to put that kind of a young arm in a high leverage position uh, if you don't have to. So I think Lopez was a really good return here. Gave up four CD level prospects, and you know the Twins are now in a position to have that closer down the stretch. Yeah, let's move along now. I'm going to talk about these two trades in tandem because they both involve the Yankees. The Yankees give up Joey Gallo to the Dodgers for Clayton Beater, um, but they also acquire Harrison Bader from the Cardinals for Jordan Montgomery. So I think the swap from Joey Gallo to Harrison Bader is simply a pure baseball standpoint of Harrison Bader is a much better defender, uh, Gold Glove Award winner compared to Joey Gallo. Um, they give up Jordan Montgomery. They don't need him as much now that they have Frankie Montas. So I kind of like what the Yankees did here to improve their team from a baseball perspective. From a fantasy perspective, I don't really like it that much, Joey Gallo. I, I think that it's a lateral transition from him from a fantasy perspective going from the Yankees to the Dodgers. Similar lineups as far as uh, power and the overall construction of the, the rosters here. Um, anything else you want to note here on, on these two trades, Matt? Yeah, it will be interesting to see how the Yankees decide to utilize the DH. Uh, I've heard a lot of speculation that this Bader trade, Bader again, gold glove center fielder, Aaron Judge has been playing a lot of center field. I think the expectation here is let's give Judge a rest down the stretch, at least on the field, as he continues that home run pursuit. And I think you can't get a better center fielder than Bader, at least right now. Uh, the guy is absolutely all world. I think he also has the opportunity to platinum glove this year. Last year may have won it. 
Um, but good job from the Yankees. Like this is a pure baseball. I don't expect things to change for Bader's value. If not anything, he's going to lose more playing time. He is hurt right now, so he will have to come back as well. But purely to give Aaron Judge those those breathers in the field. And Joey Gallo, you know, has had his struggles in New York. Maybe change of scenery can bring on some lost production. Maybe he can find a way to get that power back. Obviously, leaving Yankee Stadium with that uh, left-handed hitter's friendly right field is going to hurt. But Joey Gallo didn't play well in New York as it was. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the Dodgers. I I think the Dodgers kind of just needed to add a piece that might catch lightning in a bottle. Um, And then the Jordan Montgomery move, good job for the Cardinals. But I kind of said it with Quintana. These guys aren't going to, they're not going to pave you into the postseason. They're going to be innings eaters. They're going to be guys that go out there, get you, give up three, four runs, and, you know, and the offense needs to produce. So we'll see what kind of impact both of those pitchers have. Yeah, I, I could definitely agree. It'll be a, a wait and see approach, definitely. But I do like what the Yankees did to make their team a little bit better here. We, we mentioned a little bit earlier, but uh, the Phillies got Brandon Marsh. The Angels received catcher Logan Ohapi. He's been kind of a breakout catcher for them he instantly becomes their top overall prospect for a depleted angels farm system looks like he will be taking over catcher duties probably next year if not definitely for sure in 2024 not much more to see here um kind of interesting that the angels gave up on brandon marsh this early but you you kind of get it in in uh, a catcher now so anything else you want to note on this matt yeah, I thought it was very interesting giving up on on Marsh. You know, like we've had our concerns about his profile overall, and here we are, him being shipped away, like Joe Adele obviously being stuck in the minor leagues. Like, just a very very concerning approach that the Angels are taking with their minor league players. And yeah, you put Logan Ohape into the mix, right? Twenty two year old. I like the overall body profile. Fifteen home runs this year, batting two seventy five. Like, looks like a pretty good kid in double-A, but, like, how are they going to screw him up as a prospect? That's the first thing that comes to mind now because they've done it with everybody else. Really exciting for Brandon Marsh to go out and get an opportunity with the Phillies. Uh, you know, he's got that uh, that beard that reminds me a lot of their former outfielder, Jason Wirth. So I kind of like that transition that they're going to bring him into the fold. Um, but, again, Brandon Marsh, you know, maybe a 2023 breakout for a lot of, a lot of people. You know, 16th, 17th round pick. Maybe he's a late-dollar flyer. But I could see him having success with the Phillies. I do see it coming next year, though. Yeah. Let's move on to the last trade that we're going to talk about on this podcast. There is a lot of them. But it's that Eric Hosmer trade that we just briefly mentioned that got swapped out for Luke Boyd because of his no-trade clause. The Padres end up shipping him off to the Red Sox, along with Max Ferguson and Corey Rozier, lower or less prospects, not too much to note on them. But what's interesting that I like is the Padres got Jay Groom, who is a former first-round pick, 12th overall in 2016 by the Red Sox. Um, He's in AAA right now, doing okay. He's got a 3.94 ERA, but definitely can contribute. Um, Didn't pan out as much as they would hope initially, but I do like the return. He instantly becomes the number 11 uh, prospect for the Padres. Matt, what do you think of this trade for the Padres? Yeah, the fact that they were able to shed salary as well as accumulate a singular asset I thought was really important. We don't know the money that's changing hands yet. I do know that Eric Hosmer's contract is partially going to be paid by the Padres here. Uh, But Groom, you said it, first-round pick. He's a left-handed pitcher. I'm really, really big on left-handed pitchers take a few extra years to develop. Not necessarily sure the rationality behind that, but we saw it from Cliff Lee years back. 
Um, and we can add multiple examples of that. But I do expect Groom to be a guy that might be able to push the envelope in 2023, 2024 back end starter or a guy that's in long relief uh, that ultimately turns into an asset for the Padres. Moving Eric Hosmer was a must. I think this was a win-win for the Padres and honestly for the Red Sox, a lose-lose. Yeah, I think the, with the Red Sox, they really just don't know if they want to buy or sell. They yep. get rid of Christian yep. Vasquez, but then they go and get Eric Hosmer. It doesn't really make sense. They don't want to get rid of Xander Bogarts or Rafi Devers, which I, I agree, I wouldn't want to get rid of those guys either. But it's just a head-scratcher to me. Either go full buy-in or sell. I mean, you're kind of stuck in no man's land here. So we'll see what happens with them. But I don't like the moves that they're making. Yeah, and that uh, that concludes all the ones that we're going to talk about for MLB. Let's transition now into fantasy. And we'll talk about what happened in our Dynasty League. As you guys know, for the listeners who have been with us for the past few years, our league that we reference in our dynasty is very active as far as trades. Almost every single owner is chomping at the bit to make a trade, improve their team, sell off pieces with the salary aspect to it, which we'll kind of break down. But in that last week of the trade deadline, there was multiple trades, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven big time trades going down. I kind of want to break it down. We'll go one by one, Matt, and let's just get a breakdown on how you feel, what who won the trade and the overall team construction. And let's start with the, the most or the last one that was made. And Parker acquires Luis Castillo and Chris Taylor. Jason acquires Ian Anderson and David Peterson. For the listeners to get a little bit of background, Jason pretty much got knocked out of the playoffs. Parker's looking at a first round buy. So he is a, a buyer to make a push for that run. Luis Castillo is very expensive in our league, so not really much of a keeper. Chris Taylor's injured in just a throw-in piece. Ian Anderson, moderately cheap, um, controllable. David Peterson, very cheap, a dollar in this league. Has a little bit of upside, but with being on the Mets and Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer coming back, not really sure what's going to happen with him. So I do like this trade for both people. I give it a B. I don't think either side wins this. I think it's a clear push. Matt, what are your initial thoughts on this trade? Well, it'll be really interesting to see how Luis Castillo start lineup as we get into the playoffs, right? Like you talked about Parker possibly getting a first round bye. Castillo is in line for a double start next week. Um, and then it'll be interesting. You know, does that swing back around? in the third week of the playoffs where you can actually recoup some of the value for Castillo. Um, didn't give up a whole lot. And, you know, the idea is Castillo is going to a better ballpark. He's going to a worse offense, if that's even possible. But with Rodriguez being out, that run support's going to be hard. Um, I, I did like the move, but it's ultimately it's, it's a rental. Um, and we're going to talk about some of these teams here in regards to do they have enough to, to really beat other managers I don't think Luis Castillo was enough. If I were Parker as a manager, I would have gone out and I would have acquired at least another big-time asset. And then we'd be talking about a difference case here. But as it stands today, that Luis Castillo, even in a, a two-week set, maybe three starts, is only going to be about 50 points better than Ian Anderson. And with what he has on his staff as it is, it's not going to be enough. I will say this to defend Parker. 
I trust Luis Castillo consistency a lot more than I trust Ian Anderson's consistency. Ian Anderson can go out, give you six innings, nine strikeouts with one earned run, or he can go out there and give you three innings with nine earned runs and one strikeout. You never know what you're really going to get out of him. I think he's still developing as a pitcher and for a team that is trying to make a push, that's something he can't afford this year. So I will give him that. Um, so I think that that definitely could swing you 30, 40 points in a matchup. Let's move on, sticking with Jason and his selling. He sells Shohei Otani and Gary Sanchez to Reed. Reed gives up uh, starting pitcher Luis Garcia and Ricky Tiedemann. Luis Garcia is very controllable. Houston Astros pitcher, relatively cheap. I think he's only $6 to keep. Otani, kind of expensive at being $40, and with our weekly lineups, you have to lock him in as a pitcher or a batter. So he's not really as valuable as he should be, especially in this league. And then you throw in the fact of he is a franchise keeper as a batter. Um, for the new listeners, a franchise batter is a singular keeper spot for our league, meaning if you have one franchise batter, you can't have multiple. So it kind of limits who you can trade them to. If somebody has a franchise batter already, they're probably not going to be interested in Otani because you can't keep two franchise batters. I think Gary Sanchez here is just a throw-in as Jason already has JT Real Muto. But Reed is lacking as he had Tyler Stevenson and needed a fill-in, and there's not much on our waiver wire. I also think Ricky Tiedemann, I'm not sure what happened with the trade talks, but definitely think Reed must have talked up Ricky Tiedemann and his uh, numbers there in single A. Anything else you want to note on this, Matt? Yeah, and I, there's there's this trend in our league that you know Jackson and I actually had a conversation about today. Jackson's the league manager um, and my perception has really shifted. We'll get to kind of the reason for that here in a little bit, but I'm starting to regard if you have a top 15 talent at any position, especially starting pitching, we'll say, for example, you hold those guys no matter what. Um, the conversation was based around for years what our initial attempt would be was to find young guys that perform really well, and you go ahead and you trade them for somebody that's you know a dominant player. And we'll use the Otani and Luis Garcia scenario here. You know, Jason obviously thinks Otani's too much to keep going into the 2023 season. Reed takes advantage. He, you know, pawns off Ricky Tiedelman and Luis Garcia. Well, personally, for me, if I'm a really, really bad team, I want to hold on to as many dominant assets as I possibly can, regardless of the price, as long as it's in the realm of acceptable. And Otani's price is absolutely reasonable based on his performance. So yet again, we see, you know, him trading off Luis Castillo and Otani. And it's like, well, next year, what is it going to actually cost you to go out and get Otani and Luis Castillo if those guys don't happen to fall back into the draft, which our expectation is that Otani's not going to fall back into the draft. Uh, so I just disagree with the philosophy quite a bit, actually. Um, and again, we'll get to the reason why here in a little bit. But holding on to those high end assets to me is really important. And what's funny is I actually started the year with Otani, and I traded him straight up for Frankie Montas. But my reasoning was a lot different, is I'm planning on franchising Ronald Acuna, who we just talked about, top five talent. You want to hold on to them. I also have a, a personal attachment to Ronald Acuna. So I knew that I couldn't keep Otani, and I believe half of the league also knew that I couldn't keep Otani. So that, in theory, lowered... Um, his value in trade talks for me. So well, I took and, what I could get with Frankie Montas at $11 and he's controllable for the next 
two or three years, I believe. So I'll take what I can get. That's probably the best I could have gotten for him at that time. I would much rather have Montas than a Luis Gar- Luis Garcia, right? Like, this, oh, absolutely. And and this is where I this is where I like the conversation goes in. Like, there were a lot of moving pieces with why you moved Otani. I get that, right? But you have some of these lower tier teams where. If I'm looking to rebuild Jason's team, you know, we we, can't, we don't have time to get into the the actual construction of his team for the viewer and the listener here, but it's bad. I mean, it's bad on a level that we haven't seen. Um, as we say that, we have a guest joining us. So, Richie, you want to do an introduction, and then we'll continue this conversation. All right, and we're going to welcome one of our league mates who's hopping on the podcast for the very first time, and that is Jackson. Um, we're going to welcome Jackson. Jackson, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Doing great, Richie. Matt, good to hear from you as well. Pleasure to be here. Welcome to your first time on the podcast. Yeah, there's first time for everything, isn't there? So uh, I know you're joining a little bit late here, so we'll just get you filled in. We're just finished up talking about the MLB trades that occurred today. And now we're switching gears to our Fantasy Dynasty League, and we're talking about all the deadline trades that happened over the past week. We just finished talking about... Jason's Otani and Gary <laughs> Sanchez to read for Luis Garcia and Ricky Tiedemann. We told the listeners briefly our thoughts and opinions on that and what the values are for Otani. Luis Garcia explained the contracts and whatnot. So the listeners have a general idea of how our league is constructed, but let's get your thoughts. What do you think of that trade, the Otani for Luis Garcia? Because those are the main pieces. Yeah, honestly, I think that trade overall was was pretty fair given the way that our league is structured. I think it's all going to depend on how it shakes out with our structure in the league and how Otani gets uh, potentially broken out in ESPN between the DH and the starting pitcher. Um, I think that will kind of be one of the determining factors. And then also how Garcia ends up playing um, with, I think, his last two years on uh, his contract. So uh, I, I do think it was a good move. It does help Reed in his push um, for a championship, um, but uh, it is to be seen. Um, and I know, Richie, you do have a little soft spot for Otani and uh, perhaps maybe one of the trades you've done earlier, but uh, I do actually think overall it was uh, a pretty decent trade. Yeah. And we, we just talked about how I traded Otani for Frankie Montas right before you hopped on. So that's funny you mentioned that. Let's move on now to the next trade that happened. And this was a trade between Russ, who is kind of selling off players. He sells Will Smith, who is a $16 catcher for the Dodgers, to Tanner, who is also selling. But he sells Jaron Duran and Patrick Wisdom. So both teams are selling here. Will Smith is kind of a more expensive piece, but Russ has Adley Rutschman, so he doesn't need him anymore. He picks up Jaron Duran and Patrick Wisdom, pretty much just flyers to see what he can get out of those guys, knowing he can't keep Will Smith. I like this trade for Tanner because he's got a lot of young pieces. He has Francisco Alvarez, the catching prospect for the Mets. So I think this definitely gives him this year and next year to have that solidified piece until Francisco Alvarez is ready to take over. Let's start off with you, Matt. What are your initial thoughts on this trade? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't think there's much value in the catching position in a points dynasty league. You know, Will Smith is very consistent, has good playing time. uh, But, you know, for the most part, teams that go into the playoffs, that's the one hole that you want to, like, ultimately solidify as you get onto the season. 
And I think the managers that are competing for championships have pretty good catchers as it stands today. And we saw a hard time for moving Will Smith. You know, you talk about Patrick Wisdom, Jaron Duran, like those are really just toss-ins. Uh, I, I really just didn't really see a value for Will Smith. And I think now's the time to talk about, too, from a dynasty perspective, some of the fuckery that goes on. You know, we had to deal with, as a league, the Gosman for Will Smith trade. Here, the Gosman, fuckery, the he fuckery. says. Gosman <laughs> only just, goes out. Just to, right into it, yeah. I mean, it's fuckery. Like, Gosman is not an ace-level pitcher, but yet today goes out eight scoreless innings, one hit, ten strikeouts. Like, these are the things that do matter because Will Smith value, like, Duran and Patrick Wisdom, like, those are CD-level players. Like, they are waiver-wire pickups for the most part. Yeah, and that was a... a yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, man. A trip... And that was a trade that caused a lot of uproar in the league and ended up getting vetoed due to the uproar of that trade. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. Let's move on now to a trade that I made with Russ. And that was I acquired Xander Bogarts and Trevor Story for Jack Leiter and Marco Luciano. Both are prospects for Marco Luciano, $2, and Jack Leiter is $4, but they're locked in until they come up to the majors. Xander Bogarts and Trevor Story are both above 30 bucks, and I can't keep them. Um, they're pretty much utility guys. I knew Trevor Story had a broken hand going into it, so he was kind of a throw-in for me. It was a trade that I'm competing. I don't know if I have necessarily the best team to make a push, but I can find another Marco Luciano. I can find another Jack Leiter eventually. So I said, fuck it. And I'm taking the trade. So let's start with you, Jackson. What did you think of that trade? Yeah, how's that turning out for you now? <laughs> uh, Xander Bogart, so I think you got me negative negative one points with an error yesterday. And Trevor Story, I don't even know if I'll be able to use him. So, uh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, like, like let's call spade a spade, right? I mean, it's Xander Bogart. You know, you know what you're getting out of that. I mean, it's, it's consistent production. Um, Trevor Story, unfortunate as it is, right? Um, you know, provided he can come back, I mean, sure, that'd be great. Uh, do you particularly need him at this point? No. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, you traded, you know, two unproven guys, you know, put when, you know, putting it simple uh, for somebody that's going to provide you that immediate value now. Um, and, you know, considering as well going into next year, there is preseason trading. Uh, so there is an opportunity as well if you absolutely need to. Um, rather than, you know, putting Bogarts and Story back in the draft. Yeah. Well, we'll see what I can get. I'm not anticipating getting too much. But, Matt, what are your initial thoughts? Well, this kind of brings up, I think, a perfect opportunity. Jackson, you and I had the conversation today in regards to shifting the perspective of what exactly we evaluate talent as for our rosters. And I brought up to you the idea that we used to value the dominant proven guys you know we'll we'll bring up the kevin gosman comment that i just talked about with will smith there right like gosman's probably tier b in regards to we trust him we know he's great but he's kind of emerged and then you put in max scherzer you know justin verlander corbin burns right jacob de into tier a and our league has really kind of gotten fired up with well we're going to go out and take the shortstop from low single a and we're going to go give you trevor story and we're going to give you xander bogart's as opposed to, you know, maybe wait till the offseason. See where the prices are at. Like, maybe it is the fact that Trevor Story is a valuable commodity coming into next year. Or maybe even from a perspective of pitching, I would rather have Otani. And that was the conversation we were having when you jumped on today. 
with what Jason was doing. It's a lot harder to go out and get Otani in the offseason or get him in the draft or to get him week one through 12 than it is to just give him up. And I feel like a lot of the teams that rebuild in this league choose to just give up those assets maybe easier than they should. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking about earlier today. It's just such an interesting shift that our league has taken uh, with respect to the keeper prices, young prospects, uh, the proven guys that are out there today. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few years when contracts do come up. But absolutely everybody is in this phase of, I really want that guy who's going to be the next, uh, you know, Ronald Acuna or, or Mike Trout or whoever it is for $1 or locked in at that $5 progression before uh, having to franchise them at, at $50. And we all get so wrapped up into doing that, uh, that everybody <laughs> just kind of jumps on board with it. And I think you showcased it at least this year, Matt, um, you know, getting rid of some of those valuable assets in terms of salary uh, for those guys that are going to give you the production today uh, and then give you the opportunity even next year and the years after to decide whether or not you want to keep them even at that high dollar value. Let's move along to the next trade. This also includes Russ. He gives up Mike Trout before the back injury news to read for Hunter Green and Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins, I believe, is $6, which is huge considering he was a top 50 overall pick in most categories formats and I believe is a top 75 overall pick in most points formats. Hunter Green, young prospect, I believe he's six or seven dollars. I'll have to check my math on that. Flamethrower, I think Russ gets a young uh, haul here with that. I, easily the best trade considering Mike Trout might not even play so it's wasted roster space for Reed. Let's start with you Jackson. What are your initial thoughts on this trade? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a really great move uh, for Russ. Um, not saying that it's a bad move uh, for Reed. Um, it all depends on how Reed plans to utilize him moving forward, uh, whether or not he does want to keep that franchise tag uh, or let him go in the draft. Uh, but I, I was just checking uh, on Hunter Green. He was kept for $3. So we're looking at an $8 keeper and a very highly touted uh, person and you know Cedric Mullins as well very cheap asset I think this was a a good smart move for Russ um, I think that you know both of them are going to see near same production even as well as next year um, and you know hopefully Hunter Green will do better um, but uh, I, although I am played against him and definitely put a number on me earlier this week um, so slightly bitter about that but again, going back to what Reed, you know, is getting in return. I mean, it is Mike Trout, but again, it, it all depends on how he plans to use him for the future. Yeah, and I think this is, it's kind of funny that this is the trade that came up right after our conversation. This is the kind of trade at the trade deadline of a, of a dynasty league that should be happening. You know, very, very young pitching asset who's in the majors, who has gone through Tommy John, who has proven that he is slowly figuring things out, and an outfielder, very similar to the guy that you acquired, Jackson and Michael Harris II, who is very toolsy, has a good bat-to-ball contact, has speed, he's going to get you counting stats. Like That sets up Russ next season to have a locked outfielder as well as Hunter Green, who can be his fifth, sixth starter and kind of let him develop for a guy that's injured, right? I think this was probably my second favorite trade next to the one you and I made, Jackson, because you get long-term <laughs> value as well as guys that are starting. This isn't Ricky Tiedelman, who I'm waiting for two and a half years to see if he even makes the major leagues. 
Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, you know, you and I are probably a little biased on our thoughts of, of the trade with each other, but really kind of trying to take more of a 10,000 foot view of that. I think it was smart for both ends. Um, you know, I'm talking about getting you know, cheap-ish assets uh, in, you know, Michael Harris's second, uh, Gilbert, uh, and Devers as well, all kind of holds and, and, you know, building blocks, so to speak. And then you're getting, you know, some of the biggest bats, uh, as well as a very consistent second half pitcher in Charlie Morton, uh, you know, for the rest of the year, considering that, I mean, I think we're, we're all in agreement that you're the team to beat. So uh, that kind of, you know, gave you that additional push as well. So I think it was meaningful on both sides. I think we're both benefiting. Um, you know, it's always the long term game as well. Uh, but, you know, as we've all said with each other, uh, you never regret doing the trades that you've done if it's resulted in a championship. Um, and I've done it a few years back. You know, I traded away a lot of cheap assets of mine uh, so that I could get the right pieces to push on and win a championship. And, and happily, it, it paid off. Uh, but then you kind of go into a rebuild mode. Uh, so, you know, for you, Matt, you do have building block pieces uh, as well as a lot of expensive pieces as well. And, uh, you know, going back and forth on what you're going to do for the future and uh, uh, will be interesting as well. But you tend to figure yourself out one way or another. I agree with you first. I, I think the return you got was fantastic for what you're going to do next year. But, Richie, I want to I want to hear what your thoughts were based on the roster construction that Jackson's now creating with this young, very, very talented core um, based off with my full sell off. Right. Like I'm going for it. And Jackson, you said I got some pieces and I do. But to give up the pieces that I did as well as the trade that I made with you, Richie, which I also want you to go over um, here in a moment. But what do you think the roster construction for both sides of Jackson and I's trade is going to look like moving forward? I, I like what you both did. Um, I'm going to back us up a little bit and talk about the trade overall, just so the listeners know. So Jackson received Raphael Devers. I believe he's $11 with two years left of control. Logan Gilbert, who's $6 with three years left of control, and Michael Harris, who's a dollar with four years left of control. So a lot of controllable pieces there. Matt, you acquired Freddie Freeman, who's over $40. Nolan Arenado, who's over 30 and Charlie Morton, who's 35 All pieces that are very hard to control. I believe they all have four years worth of control if you decide to keep them, but they are expensive with those price tags. Matt, I like what you did. Um, for the push here, Nolan Arenado, I think he's equivalent to Rafael Devers, but Devers is injured and you have a uh, natural hate for him after he lost you a championship to me a few years back. Freddie Freeman, you needed um, as you've been playing the waiver wire for first baseman all year long. Charlie Morton, I think, is just a simple uh, insurance piece for you. I think, yeah, he'll, you'll start him based on good matchups. But I definitely think you have other pieces in your starting pitchers um, to, to get you there without Charlie Morton. Jackson, I like what you did there. I've been trying to get Rafael Devers and Logan Gilbert for the past <laughs> two years. Um, so, well, that was part of the trade clause. You're never yeah, allowed to get them I'm not allowed me, to. So. <laughs> not allowed yeah. to. So if yeah, I'm being no. honest, I'm a little salty about it. Um, but that's just a personal grade standpoint. Um, and knowing that trade clause, I'll just have to wait two years to get Rafael Devers. But at that point, he'll be going for a 35 to 40 and I won't be able to keep him. Um, so let's move <laughs> on now to the other trade you made, Matt. And that was with me. And I gave you a $50 Max Scherzer and a $35 Carlos Correa. You fill your need at shortstop after losing Wander Franco. 
Um, and Max Scherzer, undeniable ace, top three pitcher, easily gives you another ace on top of your Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, makes you a clear cut, have the best pitching staff. You give up an Alec Manoa, who's $6. I'm kind of in this mini rebuild, retool, if you will, where I'm trying to acquire all of the best young pitching uh, as well as very controllable. Next year, all of my pitching will be under $17, but I have people like Corbin Burns, Alec Manoa, um, Logan Webb, um, Blank and Frankie Montas, all controllable for the next two years. So I like what I'm setting myself up. But by doing so, I kind of give you the clear path to the, the championship. So I really hope I'm not on your side of the bracket come playoff time. The only regret I have in this deal is I think if I would have asked for Corbin Carroll in addition to Alec Manoa, you would have said fuck it and added that. And that's my only regret. But I can't go back now and I'm not upset with Alec Manoa as long as his elbow stays good and intact. He did get hit by a comebacker last week. Um, so Matt, well, let's start off with you about our Max Scherzer, Carlos Correa, and Alec Manoa trade. Initial thoughts because you randomly sent it to me and said TikTok or texting something <laughs> along those lines. And I know when that happens, Matt has an offer for five Standard minutes before protocol. he attracts it. That's Matt's MO when it comes to trading. And if you don't hit accept, the offer goes away. Yeah, I give, it's usually go, goes away in a timely fashion. I'm usually uh, on the other end of being happy about retracting that. But um, I think this falls in line with Jackson's trade, which we're going to talk about next. Montas and Shane McClanahan. Um, I've watched these two pitchers for the last year and a half. And, you know, while I like how young they are and how uh, poised they are on the mound, I like their numbers. There's just something about a young pitcher that I just don't buy into yet. Uh, how many times do we see a 22, 23, 24 year old go out there and have like dominant success for the next 10, 15 years? It's very rare, right? We're talking about Justin Verlander being one of the most recent ones that came out of the gates at 22 and just never stopped. So I changed, changed my perspective this year. Back to the conversation Jackson and I had where I just said, you know what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get the best players available and I'll figure out the keeper aspect moving forward. If I can win a championship knowing that I have Max Scherzer, who's probably not going to be shut down, while there's a really good chance Alec Manoa has at least his innings limited, same thing with Shane McClanahan, I would rather have that guarantee, as well as look back on what I was talking about earlier, where it's how much is it going to cost me to acquire a Max Scherzer moving forward? Like That's an asset that's very, very, very hard to find. That's a diamond, right? So yeah, you're not gonna be able to find that. Yeah, yeah, and and if Manoa becomes the the next Max Scherzer, you know, me and you talked about this on the last hole today, Jackson. You know, I, I screwed up. That was a one out of ten. You know what I mean? Like nine times out of ten, I'm better to trade Alec Manoa. If I lose out once, so be it. That just means I need to trade at a higher volume so that I can recoup some of that negative lost value. Yeah. And from my part, and from my perspective. I knew I couldn't keep Max Scherzer next year. I can't. He was on the last year of his contract. I couldn't franchise him because I have Julio Urias as my franchise pitcher. Kind of back to that Otani thing. If I wasn't getting something like Alec Manoa, I was just going to keep him and use him as my push in the playoffs. And so, Matt, I think you did a double whammy here. Um, you kind of knocked me down a peg as far as competition for you, but also increased your chances here. Um, but Alec Manoa... I don't want to say 
he's I view him as the next Shane McClanahan because he doesn't throw 101. He's sitting right around 95 to 97 on average, which is still very good, but it's not overpowering. But he's got the command. He's got the secondary arsenal. He's got the lineup behind him. He's got the durability because he's a big boy. Um, and that's the things I like about him. <laughs> big beefy boy, is that right? Is, are, I we, do, are we I putting do like that in our boys. scouting report? Is uh, yes. durability, yeah. he's fat, he should be fine, yeah. foreseeable future. Um, Speaking yeah. of Toronto Blue Jays, though, let's switch gears now and talk about the last big trade that happened before the deadline, and that was with you, Jackson, to Reed. He had a hard-on <laughs> for Shane McClanahan and would not let it go. He gives you Vlad Guerrero with one year left, I believe 25 bucks roughly. Luis yep. Severino, who's 15, 20 bucks, but's got two or three years. And Joe Ryan, who's six dollars with three years left to control. You give him Shane McClanahan with two more years of control, I believe. Um, and then Guriel, uh, the Blue Jays, and Kyle, yep, and Kyle Lewis, who were kind of just throwing guys, people that you were going to drop anyway. So, uh, Take us through your thoughts and um, let the listeners know your logic behind doing it. Yeah, for sure. I, I do just want to take one step back from there and, and give you a little kudos, Richie, on your preparation for your pitching staff. Um, you know, you're reaching your goal, keeping it under a certain dollar amount. So, I mean, I think that's great. Um, and, uh, you know, just regarding both your trades, I mean, uh, you were stuck in a pickle, Richie. You did need that asset, Matt. You were in a position uh to you know actually make that deal happen and that does just highlight you know the external factors that go in with trades to understanding like where people's mindsets are at uh the salaries the contracts so on and so forth um but yeah going to you know my trade here with reed uh yeah i mean you know kudos to him as well very persistent uh, quite annoying actually but you know i mean that's just the way that he works he doesn't like to take no for an answer um you know kept asking about mcclanahan all year uh, his own rationale uh, was that uh, over time, his value was going to diminish, yet he continued to uh, show up every day uh, and continue to get better and better. Um, and it just kind of finally came to a turning point of, uh, you know, I may or may not really make it uh, into the playoffs. I, it was a flux period. I really wanted to, you know, increase those assets across both my bats and my pitching depth uh, to, you know, make that push. And uh, I know how, you know, how much he loved having Vlad Guerrero uh, as well as Juan Soto. Um, him and I have went back and forth about Joe Ryan. He was one of those guys that I also wanted to pick up last year when I did pick up McClanahan off the waivers. Uh, and then Severino uh, was just kind of one of those throw-ins at the end. Uh, plain and simple, and, and if Reed is going to listen to this, I mean, he knows. Uh, I told him, plain and simple, that I wanted him to feel some pain if he was going to get the quote-unquote number one pitcher in the league with the most control. Uh, and so the original offer actually included Soto, which, you know, he didn't really want to do. Um, and so, you know, took Soto off the table, ended up throwing in Severino instead of Nestor Cortez uh, to get those three big guys. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I could use a first baseman keeper. Uh, I do believe he's around $27 to keep, uh, in my opinion, absolutely worth it. Uh, Severino to be seen. Um, you know, I do really like the guy. He's he's been injury prone, as we all know, but he does uh, have a good team behind him. Uh, and then Joe Ryan, kind of one of those to be seen as well. But there is a lot of question marks up with Shane McClanahan. I knew going into the end of the year he was going to be capped at innings. Um, and you know, when a guy is that 
I mean, don't get me wrong, he's very talented, but when a guy's throwing that hard and he's got such electric stuff, I mean, you know, you question yourself, how long is that really going to last? And Matt, you and I were talking about that earlier today too. Um, you know, and I do think it's a, it's a win. I mean, Reed was in a position with Soto and Vlad uh, going to be at least in the next two years on, on whether or not to franchise uh, either one. And so I kind of rid him of that burden. Um, and, uh, and then he also gains, you know, a very controllable asset and whether, you know, Shane McClanahan continues to produce the way that he did this year so far, uh, even going into next year and so on and so forth, yeah, you know, good for him. Right. Uh, but I can't deny that I do have, you know, Vladimir Guerrero on my team at this point. And I think, uh, you know, really looking back in the trades, I did pick up McClanahan off the wire, uh, last year. So I essentially, uh, traded a waiver wire grab for, you know, a, a cheap Vlad Guerrero for at least one more year. Anytime you can get the best first baseman and arguably a top five overall pick for $27 when usually they're going for 45 to $60, that's value right there. You're saving $20, so it doesn't matter if he's 27 or 30 That's still a value in my eyes, and that's a win. Yeah, and we said this today, you know, I think with all of the value pieces that we are now looking at and the way the league's perspective have shifted, we won't know what the proper strategy based on this new form will be for two years. Um, we, When we talk trades, and I think I was speaking to Russ about this, was the idea that we're not trading actual players and the names mean absolutely nothing. It's really trading the dollar amount and the math that we're trying to work into our, our keeper contracts. Mm -hmm. And I got trapped in that mindset for a long time, which kind of shifted now into the new mindset of like, well, I can go get a guy that's top five. I'm going to go get a guy that's top five. We'll figure everything else later, right? Because ultimately, every time <laughs> July, end of, end of the season comes of July and the trade deadline's about to hit, phones start blowing up and people start getting irrational, right? Like it went from, oh, I'll give you this guy and that guy for, you know, Max Scherzer to, fuck it, I'm going to give you Alec Manoa. You know, like it, people get irrational because at the end of the day, we're chasing championships. Um, but when it comes to building a team, you know, I think both of you have done a really good job of setting yourselves up for the next few years, but you also have to be honest with yourselves. So if you have one league manager that's hell bent on going for it last year, it was Reed. this year, it's me. Sometimes you've just got to get out of their way and take as many assets from them as you can with the idea that there's a really good chance they're going to win a championship, but I'm going to try to compete against them this year. And I'm definitely going to be in a better position than them next year. Yeah. It's all, it all comes down to who's willing to sell out. Um, yeah, man, you're just going to pick up all these prospects on the wire for a dollar and then trade them to the highest bidder for, you know, <laughs> the today's production. It's and the uh, cycle it's continues. Yeah. And the <laughs> cycle continues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that concludes all of the crazy trades that happened in that final week of our fantasy deadline. So we went over all of the, the big trades that happened today in the past and over the weekend for MLB, as well as ours crazy uh a week for both uh mlb and us but that concludes our podcast for this week um maybe next time we'll get some more uh, prospect stuff for you guys and until then uh we'll talk to you guys next time